Well, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you guys are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Come on. Um, well, if you've been uh, following, uh, following us, we've been uh, doing a sermon series called Jesus in the Secular World. This is our third week. Pastor Dean talked about uh, uh, responding to a secular world and, and also praying for a secular world. And before I read my sermon topic or my assignment for today, I want to first go over to Luke chapter 15, if we will. And I'm going to be reading from Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to go ahead and start. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends, his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have strayed away. Amen. The title of my message is Compassion for a Secular World. Join me in prayer. Father, we just thank you uh, for your presence being here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you think through me, speak through me, Help me to articulate myself in such a way that every person in here can receive the word on good ground. We thank you for what you're going to do in this word, confirming it in the hearts of people, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, if we are going to reach the secular world for Jesus, we are going to have to have compassion for the secular world just like Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? This is why scriptures calls us the uh, ambassadors of Christ. And ambassadors of Christ, that simply means uh, we're not of this world, but we represent kingdom values and principles for this world. Amen. We are here to be reconcilers. Somebody say reconcilers. Reconciling a lost world to a living God. Reconciling people who need God in their life. And the only way that we can reconcile broke and hurting people is if we have compassion for broken, hurting people. Can I get an amen? And, and you know, Pastor Dean's been preparing our hearts and minds over the last couple of weeks. Um, so when I say this statement, it's, it's probably not new to you. But, but I think it's so important that as Christians who have compassion for the secular world, we have to... What's up, DJ? We have to make sure that uh, we have to make sure that that we see the secular world not as our battlefield but our mission field. I'm gonna say that again: the secular world is not our battlefield; it's our mission field, because the fight is fixed, and the blood of Jesus has paid for it. We are fighting from a fixed fight because Christ already won the battle. So since Christ won the battle, now the secular world is not our battlefield. It is our mission field. It is our mission to love the lost. It is our mission to love the unlovable. In fact, those who deserve love the least often need love the most. So as ambassadors, we carry something different than the world carries. We carry peace. We carry love. We carry the ability to forgive. Whether you behave in a way that's, uh, that I like or not, I can still forgive you, love you, and reconcile you back to God because you are not my source. The loss is not our source. Jesus is our source. And if we see in scriptures, there is a priority that Jesus places on the loss. He actually says, I rejoice over one just as much as the 99, which means he loves the lost person just as much as he loves the righteous person. 
Somebody needed to hear that. Because we can't bring lost people in if we are so judgmental and hypocritical. You know, one of the things that will stop the move of God is hypocrisy. Being, the, the, the Pharisees got mad because Jesus was hanging out with sinners, because he was hanging out with tax collectors, because he was hanging out with unrighteous people. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world or to judge the world. He came to save, heal, deliver, and set free the world. And if that is Jesus' priority, then we often should carry that same priority. Amen? Amen. So I, I like what it says. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say the good shepherd came up with a plan to lure the lost sheep to church. But instead, the shepherd actually went to go find the lost sheep to bring it back to him. Amen. Could it be that we are spending too much tr- time trying to get the broken and lost world to come to church when God is saying, be the church and go to the lost and broken world and reconcile them at your jobs, reconcile them at the gym. Wherever you're at, the kingdom of God is at hand because the kingdom lives inside of me. So where I walk, the kingdom of God is at hand. I don't got to say come to church to get the kingdom. I'm a part of the kingdom. I can come to you and bring the kingdom to you. So Luke 15 can also be called the lost chapter. Somebody say the lost chapter. Because we see several uh, parables. We see the sheep got lost, the coin got lost, and the son got lost. Now, the sheep got lost naturally because sheep get lost, (laughs) right? The coin got lost accidentally and the son got lost willfully. But what I love to bring out on this point that in every case, someone went to go look out for the lost. So whether you were born in a lost circumstance, meaning you, didn't, you, you don't like your parents or you would not have picked your parents, God, the integrity of God is still, he'll have the right voice in your life. Although you were born into sin, born into a lost circumstance, the, the, the good shepherd is still looking for you to reconcile you to a better circumstance, a better situation. Or if you're in here today and you might have made some bad decisions because you didn't know no better. Accidentally, you, you, you pursue some things you shouldn't pursue. God is still shining light. He's still uh, bringing people to you to point you to the right way, which is Jesus. Or you might have been like me who was willfully disobedient. <laughs> God still is sending his, his, his people to still find you. And we see that in the parable uh, of the son who was lost. The Bible talks about the father who saw his son from a distance, from far, a great distance, the father pursued him while the son was still far off. Which means God is always engaged in lost people. He's not saying shame on you, figure it out on your own. No, God is always in the posture to receive lost people. God is always in the business of going after the lost because the son of man came to redeem the lost. Are you guys with me? Jesus didn't spend all his time in the synagogue. He didn't spend all his time with religious leaders. He invested his time with sinners, those who needed help. I'm going to say that again. Jesus didn't spend all of his time at church, which church is important. We should have what I call an upward, inward, and outward relationship. Upward is our connection to God. Inward is our connection to community. And outward is our connection to reconcile a lost world. But we shouldn't be so focused upward and inward that we forget to be outward focused. Amen. We come to church to get in the flow and get that glory to receive the goodness of God. But if you receive the goodness of God and you don't share it with nobody else, then how good is your God then? Because the God that I serve and the goodness of God compels me to share what I have. When there's broken people looking for answers, the love of God compels me to want to help them find some answers, which I know is in Jesus Christ. So what I also want to balance with that perspective is we also need to know that Jesus didn't eat with sinners, tax collectors, because he wanted to appear inclusive and tolerant and accepting of their behavior. He ate with them to call them to a change and fruitful life, to die so that they can live to find him. I think somebody needs to hear that. We're not using the excuse to be around sinners, to be accepting and tolerant because we're afraid to get canceled. No, when you're in Christ, once you got born again, you were born canceled from the world. So you might as well just get used to being canceled. Get used to some persecution. 
The moment you said yes to Christ and rededicated your life to Jesus, you got canceled for the world. Because it was the world that sent Jesus to the cross. It was the world that didn't want him. And the Bible says, if you suffer with me, you'll also glory, glorify with me. So the world canceling me is a part of my identity saying, I'm about to have some glory that God is going to reveal in me. And nobody's opinion will ever have more influence than my obedience to the Lord. Whatever your opinion is, I'm still going to be obedient to the Lord. Because my safety, my help, my refuge, my, my strong tower, my, 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 my king is Jesus. So no matter what's happening around me, my trust is the one who lives inside of me. Can I get an amen? amen. Which means the lost is not our enemy, you guys. The lost is not our enemy. I'm going to say that again. The lost is not our enemy. LGBTQ is not our enemy. Racism is not our enemy. They have enemy behavior, but, but, but that's our mission field to show them a better way. As Jesus in the secular world, that means we're Jesus is in, in the world where there's all kind of poor ideologies, wrong strongholds. And I'm not necessarily agreeing with any of those uh, uh, cultures and traditions and norms. But if I look at them as the enemy and not Satan as the enemy, I won't know how to disassociate the spirit from the person. Because it's the spirit in the person, not the person. Amen. So the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. So I can go to, to an environment that's very sinful and I don't have to look like it, they're the enemy. I can say this is my mission field. In fact, a lot of the miracle signs and wonders that we see in the Bible, the gifts of miracles, of healing, of faith, guess what? They didn't happen in the church. They happened on the mission field. Amen. They happened on the mission field. What if we're praying manifestations of miracle signs and wonders, expecting it to show in a church, but God is like, I'm waiting to manifest that prayer on the mission field. On the mission field. Because when you go on the mission field, you got you to be willing to count the costs. You got to be willing to step out of yourself. You got to be willing to not just have empathy, but compassion. Somebody say compassion. And, and, and when we think about counting the costs, the question that I want to encourage us to ask ourselves, are we fans of Jesus, followers of Jesus, or disciples of Jesus? Because there is a difference. You can be a fan of Jesus and admire his teachings and think he's a good person and every now and then put him on your, your Facebook, your social media, or your Twitter post. You can be a follower of Jesus and, 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 you know, that might mean you pick and choose which part of the word you want to use. But if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, that means you are disciplined in the way of your teacher. Discipleship means discipline one. I discipline my life, my behavior, my values in a way that aligns with my teacher, Jesus. But it comes with a cost. I believe a lot of Christians don't walk in authority because they're not walking in that discipleship type discipline. They have fan and follower posture, but they want disciple authority. And I believe that when we move from just being a fan of Christ... To not just a follower of Christ, that's a step, but a disciple of Christ, we step into sonship. Now, before you start getting mad at me, well, I can't be daughtership. <laughs> before you make it a gender issue, sonship is not about gender. It's about spiritual inheritance. It's about spiritual inheritance. Whether you're a son or a daughter, sonship means you walk in the authority, the greater works that Christ came for you to walk in. But you don't walk in that as a fan. You don't walk in that as a follower. You walk in that as a disciple of Jesus. And I believe God is placing a grace on this house that we can be greater, greater disciples of Jesus to know that God's plan is not just for, to bless Christians, but God has a plan to bless the world as well. You know, Christian often thinks that God has a plan and strategy, strategy just to bless the church. But God has a plan and strategy to bless the world as well. And that plan and strategy is us to evangelize the world, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. To a lost and dying world. 
let me, let me read it this way. Empathy. Empathy means the power of understanding and imaginatively entering into another person's feelings. That's okay. I think the world has a lot of empathy, right? You know, put, putting yourself in somebody else's place, trying to view yourself walking in their shoes. But, but I believe as Christians, we got to go further than empathy. Empathy is okay. It's okay to start there, but we need to move to compassion. Somebody says compassion. This is what compassion means. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. Here's the part. Accompanied by strong desire to alleviate suffering. See, one is like, I'll pray for you. That's empathy. But compassion is, I know, I'm not going to just pray for you. I'm going to do something to alleviate the suffering that you have. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do as Christians, not just to outsource to God. I'll pray for you and God will deal with it. What if, God, what if you're praying prayers to God that he gave you the power to answer? What if you're praying prayers to God when he's given it in your, in your ability, your resources to provide the answer to that prayer? I believe God is tired of you outsourcing things to him that he has ordained, authorized, and raised you up to answer yourself. The Latin root for the word compassion is, is, is two words. It's patty, which means to suffer, and the prefix com means with. So compassion originating from capati, it literally means to suffer with. If we're going to have compassion for a secular world, it means that we're going to have to suffer with the secular world. Not suffer their consequences, but meaning like the pain, the brokenness, the hurt. The sorrow that they're in. We're not going to just walk past them and say, I pray for you. We're going to get involved in that mess. We're going to get involved in their issues. And we're going to try to help alleviate the suffering of their issues. So then we can point them to a greater one, Jesus Christ. Am I by myself in here? Am I the only one that wants to see God move in our world? I, I, I believe revival will break out when we start evangelizing to the world. Because what if the next revivalist is going to come out of a, a, a drug house? What if the next revivalist is going to come from, a, from, from an inmate? Because I know for myself, whether you know it or not, if, if, if there wasn't somebody evangelizing in the prison, I don't know if I will be here today. Because sometimes our parents can't get to us. Sometimes our friends can't get to us. So God needs to raise up a labor to go in the harvest and where family can get to you, there's a perfect labor that God can use to bring in the harvest. That's why he says, if you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. When you visit those people who needed visitation, when you clothe those people who need clothing, when you feed those who need to be fed, you do it unto me, Jesus says. Because revival may not come in, 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 the, in, the, in the form of what we think. It may not come from the aristocratic. It may not come from the high places. It may come from the low places. Because Jesus came for the disenfranchised. Jesus came for the marginalized. Jesus came for the oppressed. And when I see moves of God happening, it's because there were people who were not afraid to go into the dark places to be around sinful people and not be intimidated by their mess. I think we forgot that we was once lost before. You over there judging people how they come dressed to church. And although they're dressed in a little bit provocative, but their heart is to see God move in their life. And you dressing all conservative, but your heart is just as evil as how they look. God will take the one that came in the mini, mini skirt but got a heart of repentance than the one that came in the nun gown but, but got a sinful, deceitful, manipulative heart. He ain't tripping off what you wear. I believe when, when, when we walk in God, that will, happen, that will naturally change on its own. But we, we forget that we was once lost. You, you talking about people nasty, you forgot that you was nasty before. I probably shouldn't have said that one. <laughs> you, you're, over there, you're over there judging other people, but you forgot that you weren't always holy either. You forgot that you used uh, 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 other addictive things to get your peace of mind right outside of Christ. We often talk about Jesus in a secular world, but we might need to talk about Jesus in the church world. Because when you can't tell the difference between a church and the world, that, that's an issue. But here at Real Life Church, you can. Amen? 
The Pharisees over here rebuking Jesus because he wanted to kick it with sinners and help redeem people, right? No, Jesus was like, do as they say, according to the Pharisees, but not as they do. Because they care too much how they looked on the outside, but they were unclean on the inside. And God wants some people that is not necessarily got it all together, but just have a heart and a posture of repentance. Amen. If it, if it outs, just say hurt. It hurts. <laughs> I'm going to go on a marriage tangent real quick as well, because as I talked about, we need compassion for the secular world. I, you know, God had dropped this in my spirit while I was studying, and I just I felt like it's important to share. A, a lot of our marriages might be in trouble because we're losing compassion in our marriage. Because marriage is, is a place where two people suffer together at times. Marriage is about two people making sacrifices to show that we love one another. I'm tired, but can you give me a massage? Okay, I don't feel like doing it, but yes, I'll do it. But what I'm trying to say is when two people who are in covenant stop making sacrifices and suffering, what does suffering mean? Resisting the flesh. Resisting what you want to do for the sake of somebody else. When two people make that type of sacrifice and live in that posture, compassion flows in their marriage. But when there's no compassion in the marriage, I believe that the marriage uh, uh, is having some challenges. And the thing about when there's no compassion, when compassion goes down, arguments go up. And, and, and the difference between how women argue and men argue, when women argue, they're hitting you with words, it's cutting deep. And while she thought she won the argument, when men argue and when they're in conflict, they make decisions. And now while you won the argument, he's planning his exit to leave. But that's not that's no marriages in here in Jesus name. <laughs> but when you bring compassion back, when you begin to make sacrifice, when you begin to know that your life, your marriage is about selflessness. You can't be selfish and still have a successful marriage. You can't be selfish and still have a successful life. That's why Jesus says you have to lose your life to find your life. It was selfishness and fear that brought sin into the world, and it's going to be selflessness and humility that's going to bring God's presence back into the world. Can I get an amen? amen. So empathy says, let me pray for you, but compassion says, let me pray and do something for you. Now, I want to make a statement. It's very hard for us to have compassion for others in their pain if we're not in proximity of their pain. I remember it's probably like my first or second year as a pastor. I had just got licensed and ordained, so I was feeling very anointed and appointed. <laughs> I was feeling like I was all of that, and I was ready to go conquer the world. And to, to, to my experience, I wasn't ready for the phone call that I was about to get. I get this phone call to officiate a funeral. And this is my first time ever doing a funeral. I had no funeral ex experience. But the funeral that I was going to officiate wasn't an ordinary funeral to me. It was a funeral of a gentleman that I was once incarcerated with. And to hear his mom and to hear his family, the cry, I, a, a mom should never have to bury their child. The cry the hurt, the pain that that family was in, it compelled me. It gave me compassion to then go on a three-day fast for this funeral because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to approach it. I'm still kind of new in, 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 in my, my, my pastoring call. And I remember going on this three-day fast, no food, just water only. And in that fast, I, I, I kid you not, I, I probably cried several times because the weight of what was asked for me to do and, and knowing that this person was right beside me, we were both studying the word together and how God, God was there for both of us. But uh, uh, the scenario played out and, and, and it worked out for this gentleman. And I remember going to that, that funeral and it got to the place where people came up to share their final words. And I had a message that I felt that God had me prepare in my fast. And, and, and probably about two people before my message, one person came up, and it was the gentleman's father. And he was like, I, I told my son that when you live a life that says, F God, that's, I'm keeping it clean, God is going to say, F you and take you out. And just the, the, the spirit of the room went out. 
The, this, the, just the, the, the pain, the spirit, just the, the tension in the room. It was so tense. It was so quiet when he said that. And I felt in that moment, I didn't know what to do. I was very nervous. And I felt the Lord say, you're going to represent me right because I'm being represented wrong. But here it is. I didn't correct him. I didn't say, hey, you're wrong. This is what God says. The Lord said, put your hand on his shoulder and just be there for him. And as the gentleman is just expressing, in my opinion, all kind of like wrong philosophies about who God is, I had to hear his pain in order to hear. uh, Let me say it this way. I had to hear his pain in order for God to use me to heal the pain. As Christians, we're so quick to correct people and, and, and teach people and preach to people. But you can't heal the pain if you're not hearing the pain. And you can't heal broken people who need Jesus unless you're in proximity of those broken people who need Jesus. So as my arm is around this gentleman and I'm just I'm praying and I'm just loving on him. He's crying. He's breaking down. And then he sits back down and I get up and I felt the Lord just tell me to go to the passage of scripture with a thief on the cross that in his dying moments. That in his moment that God was still pursuing us in our final moments. And and, and I was sharing to this this audience of two to three hundred people and a lot of them look mean and hard and gangsters and hustlers. And and, and I'm I'm looking like they're like, what he going to tell me? And I'm sharing the love of God that the love of God is always pursuing you. And God didn't come to steal, kill and destroy, but he sent the son Jesus to give us life and life more abundantly. And I begin to share that in the final moments, reconciliation, redemption, and restoration was right there available for that thief on the cross. And this gentleman, he didn't die instantaneously. He didn't die instantly. But, but I believe that in his final moments, we don't know what a person is saying to God in their final moments. And I remember, I go back to us having Bible studies together, praying together, and I choose to believe. I'm not trying to preach anybody to heaven, but I choose to believe that if this gentleman had a chance to repent and to give his life to God, he did that. That's why we can't be surprised when we get to heaven and people you didn't think was going to make it is in there. And people who you thought was going to make it may not be in there. We evangelize the lost because nobody is unredeemable, nobody is unreconcilable, nobody is is without reach of who Jesus is. You are always in reach, you are always redeemable, you are always reconcilable. So I'm never going to give up on anybody. I'm never going to lose hope. As long as people got breath in their lungs, I'm going to evangelize. As long as people have breath in their lungs, I'm always going to teach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as I shared this story in this room, the Lord told me to do an altar call. And as I did the altar call, probably about nine, my wife was at the funeral, about 95% of the room began to give their life to Jesus Christ and weep and be sad and, 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 and reconcile. And, and where revenge was in the room, rage was in the room, retaliation and murder was in the room. But because God can send a laborer into the harvest and not be so afraid and not be afraid to have compassion and not lay their own life down so that they can see others' life come to Christ. I believe about 200 plus men and women gave their life to Jesus that day. Because we got to be willing to go in places that make us uncomfortable. We got to be willing to have hard conversations that make us uncomfortable. If we don't have the hard conversations, if we don't go to the dark places, then who is going to reconcile a lost world back to a living God? Who's going to do it? God's plan and his strategy for the world is you and I. We are called to be evangelists. Now, you may not have the office of evangelist, meaning like that may not be your primary gift. But if you have the Holy Spirit, who is the gift, he can use you to to operate in any of the gifts. So let's say I'm I'm supposed to just be a pastor and and I don't have a prophetic gift. But if I'm surrendered to the Holy Spirit and God tried to pull on a a couple prophetic people heart, but they didn't respond to him. You know, he's going to say, "Okay, I know I use Damien just to be a pastor, but I'm going to stir my gift in him. And because nobody else want to go, I'm going to operate a new gift inside of him. 
a new gift to reach my people. So when you have the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit, you then have access to more gifts of healing, of miracles, of faith. God's heart was that he didn't want to be represented in that moment, misrepresented. God's heart is that he wants to redeem and reconcile and restore humanity back to divinity. Jesus did not come to steal, kill, and destroy. Heaven don't need another angel. Heaven has enough angels. What, 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 what heaven needs is humanity living out their purpose and their calling for Jesus. Taking back territory for the kingdom of God. Now, I know we all have an appointed time that we will meet our maker, but God doesn't want people leaving this world early. The enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That wasn't God who killed that young man. That was the enemy who killed that young man. And Satan loves to deceive people to put blame on God for things he didn't do. That's how he gets people to be offended at God and never coming to God. But if we are not people who represent God, these people have these offenses and they need to hear truth of who God is. We are ambassadors. We are the body of Christ representing Jesus into a broken, offended, hurt world so that people where they were lied to by the father of lies, they can have truth by the father of lights so they can come out of darkness into light, come out of sickness into health, come out of death into life, come out of poverty into prosperity, come out of torment into a peaceful mind. That word evangelism means to proclaim the good news. Can I be so bold to say I believe God is placing a grace on Real Life Church, an evangelistic grace, that as we've been receiving the glory, that as we've been filling up on God and amongst each other, that, that, that God is raising some evangelists. God is raising some people who are wise as snakes, harmless as doves, and bold as a lion. And even sacrificial as lambs, because when you are reaching people for the lost, they may call you out your name. They may say something you don't want to hear. They may do something you didn't want them to do, but I'm still going to love the hell right out of them. Here's God's mindset towards lost people. Second Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord does not delay and it's not tardy or slow about what he promises, according to some people. This passage of scripture, uh, uh, the, the author was refuting the fact that people are saying Jesus is supposed to be coming back. He, he promised he's coming. And he's saying that God is not keeping his word. He's just slow in keeping it for this purpose. It says people's conception of slowness, but he is long suffering, extraordinary patient toward you. Here's the part, not desiring that any should perish, but that all shall turn to repentance. That not any should perish, but all turn to the Lord for repentance. I, I like what 1 Timothy chapter 2 says. He wants not only us, but everyone saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned. That there is one God and only one, and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them free. And John 3, 17 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Which means, has the world got it right to some degree when they said only God can judge us? Let me explain. I believe that we are to judge wrong. We are to judge behavior but we are not to judge value. We are not to judge worth. We are not to place an identity on somebody that only God can assign to them. So check out this passage of scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 13. It's going to hurt a little bit, but I think it's important for us to lean in on this. Paul is writing to the Corinth church because prior to verse 9, there was a man who slept with his father's wife. So there was an immoral man and, 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 and Paul was saying, hey, you need to disassociate from this person, right? And I'm going to explain a little bit more. But Paul, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Check this part out. I wasn't talking about unbelievers. I'm going to just let that sit because y'all, I didn't get enough amens on that one. You know, I know sometimes when it's quiet, that's because the Lord is doing surgery. 
right? When, 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 the, when the surgeon has the scalpel on, on the patient, the patient ain't moving. <laughs> They're like, oh, don't cut me the wrong way. But it says right here, uh, uh, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Oh, Jesus. Yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It is my responsibility. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside of the church who are sinning. Now, this can be a little bit scary because you're like, man, I think I lied yesterday. I cheated on my taxes. I'm planning to cheat on my taxes. Tax return coming. <laughs> it's not talking about people who struggle with sin. It's not talking about people who uh, make sinful decisions at times. It's talking about people who habitually live a sinful lifestyle and is unrepentive of their sin. Meaning, you know God don't want you to worship idols, but you are still worshiping idols. You know God don't want you sleeping with your, your father's wife, but you did it anyways. God is saying, that is the person you are to judge. And he even said to that person who made this very poor decision, hand that man over to Satan so that his soul can be saved on judgment. In other words, let the consequences of his action teach him so he can come back to repentance to me. Oh, Jesus so we are not to judge the world. We can judge behavior. We can judge wrong. We can judge that is a false ideology, but I'm not bringing condemnation on unbelievers. Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. He was sent, as we read according to John 3, 17, not to judge the world. In other words, you are out of reach and you're going to hell. No, God sent his son Jesus to redeem this lost world. Can I get an Amen. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be wrapping up soon. Verse 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. I like how Paul approaches people who are lost or people who need Jesus. Paul says, even though I'm free of demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily became a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious Non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I wanted to be in on it. I wanted to be in on it. And I believe there's three points before my close that I think we can lean in on when we're trying to reach the lost, when we're having compassion for a secular world. Number one, we must engage the secular world. We can't be standoffish of the secular world. When, when people cuss around me and, and I'm not like, man, I'm a pastor. Stop cussing around me. I'm like, it is what it is. You're doing what sinful people do, cuss. <laughs> it, it don't bother me when people do certain things because I, I want to be amongst that so that I can bring a perspective to them. So when, when we're engaging the lost world, we have to know their likes and dislikes. We have to learn their language of communication. We have to get to know them before we try to teach to them. We got to love them. We have to care about them, serve them, and not criticize them. And number three, revive them. What do I mean by revive? In Acts 17, I like how Paul approached a very secular world. There was a statue that people worshiped, and on the statue, it said to an unknown God. And Paul said that that unknown God that, that, that you are worshiping, I know who you're really trying to worship. So he didn't compete with their worldview. He completed their worldview. I don't need to compete with the world. Because I know that we have the authoritative word of God. I am here to offer perspective. I'm here to offer truth. I'm here to show them the world. Because the world is looking for answers. They're looking for God. Everyone has the capacity in their heart to worship something. It's just who are they going to worship? 
Are they going to worship success? Are they going to worship sex? Are they going to worship their ambition? Are they going to worship their spouse? Whatever it may be, we all have it in us to worship something. As believers, we're just saying to that unknown thing that you're worshiping, let me fill that with Jesus. Let me show you that that, that void that you have in your heart, that, that, that void that is never-ending, it needs a never-ending God to fulfill that never-ending want that you have in your heart. It takes an eternal God to fill that, that heart that is forever wanting. The Bible says uh, uh, the, the, the heart of man in hell is never full, so are the desires of man. So I believe that the desires of man are never satisfied, so it's going to take a never-ending God to satisfy a never-satisfied heart. Man, y'all missed something on there. It's going to take a never-ending God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's going to take a never-ending God to fulfill a never-satisfied heart. You have a heart that is never satisfied. It's forever wanting. You, you, you want this, you want that, and once you consume it and you keep consuming it, you're going to realize you're going to want more. And that's because the heart was supposed to be a perfect match for you and God. That's the key. You want and never stop wanting. You, 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 you have this void in your heart because that void was supposed to be an endless connection between you and God. So when you and God are together, all those desires, all those wants, he can be all that to you. All those different ambitions, he can provide that for you. That's why he says, seek me first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto us. Now, most of you guys know that Stacy and I, we, uh, over a decade ago, we started a nonprofit called Don't Awaken Love Too Early. And this movement literally started in our young adult ministry where uh, Stacy and I saw broken and hurting people making bad decisions when it came to dating and relationships and sex and marriage. So, so like this, we went out to the, to the clubs. We went out to the nightclubs, acts. A group of people questions and, and, and engage them and learn them. And I believe I'm showing you a clip, but we got way more data, way more footage where it helped us shape how we approach our nonprofit because we wanted to not just be for believers. We wanted to be for unbelievers who had who has answers as well. So I'm going to show you this clip real quick. It's like 10 years old, so don't judge how we look. <laughs> Stacy still look good, though. Hey. Everyone, we're on our way to the nightclubs to ask young people what are their perspectives of church and how it can be relative to them. I would like more like, you know, when things happen in real life nowadays, in the ghetto, in the ridge, whatever, that you can relate to us and not judge us. Um, a lot of females especially, like my, my minister, he relates to how God should be the man in your life and that you shouldn't uh, chase men but embrace God and God will send you a man. So that relates to me. Hey. <laughs> and he talks about like um, single mothers, you know, for those of us, there are a lot of us out there. If we can cut back on judging, criticizing, and assuming, I think that would bring more young people to the church. Come on, y'all. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> I share that just to kind of give you some practical things of how before we started to try to reach a whole culture for Jesus, we spent time with the culture that we were reaching for Jesus. I really believe, as I mentioned earlier, if we're going to heal and have compassion for a broken world, we are to be in proximity and hear the hurt of a broken world. Now, in, in my final conclusion of my message, I want to point us to Luke 10 verses 33 through 36. And I just want to charge us with this mindset that in this passage, there was, there was a lawyer that came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, what should I do to inherit uh, eternal life? And, um, and then Jesus answered. And then he asked Jesus another question, who is my neighbor? Right? Because we have to look at the loss of the world as still our neighbors. When Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not just talking about the Christian community. He's talking about our fellow uh, uh, community of humanity. Can I get an amen? So in this passage, there are four different type of people in the Good Samaritan story. I'm giving you the end of it because it's a long passage, 
But in this passage, there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got beat up and robbed and stripped and left nearly half dead. And in the passage, it talked about there was a priest who saw this man, a believer, and he went on the other side. He, he, he ignored this person. And then there was a Levite, another Christian, uh, or somebody who had religious affiliation, who saw this person as a problem to avoid. And then there was this person, the Good Samaritan, who saw this hurting and broken person as a person to be valued. See, we can't be like a Levite and the priest who ignore the hurt and brokenness of our world. We have to be like the good Samaritan who loves his neighbor, and Jesus shares right here, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, this is the beat up person, he had compassion. Somebody say compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on on oil, excuse me, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal brought him to an inn, took care of him, and on the next day when he departed, he took out two uh, coins, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to them, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these do you think was the neighbor to whom fell among the thieves? Again, in this story, there was a robber who saw a person as, a, as somebody to be exploited, and I believe that's the enemy. Satan comes to exploit. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then there was a priest who saw the the broken person. And and, and people may not be physically broken or hurt like this person, but they may be emotionally broken, mentally broken. The the priest just ignored him. And then the uh, Levite avoided him, but it was the Samaritan that had compassion. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand to your feet real quick as I close out. These are all areas that I'm going to name off real quickly, and then I'm going to pray over us. Where Jesus was moved with compassion. The scriptures literally say this. Jesus was moved with compassion, and then these things happened. So Jesus was moved with compassion in Luke 7, and then he raises a widow's son from the dead. He was moved with compassion in Matthew 14, and then he feeds 5,000 people. Now, this was tough because Jesus had just heard His cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. He didn't have time to grieve. He didn't have time to deal with that. But he still was about his father's business, having compassion for the lost. Matthew 8, Jesus heals a leper. Matthew 20, Jesus heals a blind man from from being blind. And Mark 8, Jesus feeds another set of thousands of people. And in Matthew 9, Jesus tells us, pray to the Lord of the harvest that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. What Jesus was essentially praying is pray for more compassion laborers. I'm encouraging us today that we be better compassion laborers. That in our day-to-day life, in our routine, we don't become compassion fatigue for lost people. Because it is so easy to be like the priest, the Levite, to ignore the hurt and broken world around us. But we are to be like the good Samaritan who when we see broken and hurt people, it cost that good Samaritan something. It cost him time. It cost him money. It cost, it cost him his treasure. But he saw that that person was more valued than his own resources. You know, sometimes we can be so passionate about purpose that we forget to have compassion for people. People are our purpose, y'all. Our purpose is not the outcome. Our purpose is the people. And when we lose compassion for people, we've lost sight of our purpose. This thing is about souls. Heaven wants souls and hell wants souls. So God has blessed the world and he has a plan to heal the world. And that's through you and I evangelizing the lost world and reconciling them back to a living God. Give God some praise if you receive something out of this. Just close your eyes. I'm going to say a prayer over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we repent for any area of our hearts and our lives where we have lost compassion for lost and broken and hurting people because we were once lost ourselves. Father, I ask that you would help us as a church to keep the posture of repentance, of having compassion for lost people. God, I also ask that you would help us to see people the way you see them. 
as redeemable, as lovable, as value, not as objects to exploit, not as objects to avoid, not as problems to ignore, but as people to be valued. Because your gifts and callings are irrevocable. God, you've given gifts to all men. You reign on the just and unjust. And God, you want to see this lost and broken world come to a living God. God, I pray that we will keep this heart posture. Lord, I pray that you would give us a special grace on this house to begin to evangelize in our workforce, to begin to evangelize in the marketplace, our family, Lord. I pray that we would all have compassion and begin to pray for the lost people around us. And more importantly, I feel what the Lord is saying, what you want to do for many, just find one person to do that for. Lord, if we want to change the world, all we have to do is find one person to do that for. So I pray right now in the name of Jesus that, God, you forgive us and you grace us, you empower us to walk in that freedom. And I also pray for that person here that no longer just wants to be a fan, no longer wants to be a follower, but wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help them to have courage to not be afraid to be canceled, to have courage to not care so much about others' opinions that it gets them out of being obedient to their creator, the one who made them, the one who died for them, the one who loves them and has a plan for them. And if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, and you might have been that lost person, and you're here today, and you're hearing the message that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to redeem, heal you, and set you free. If you're in here today, and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, or you want to rededicate your life back to Christ, I want to, I'm here to tell you God will never tear down forgiveness. He loves you. He has a plan for you. And if you want to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, I want to pray with you and for you. We have a team of people who want to pray with you and for you. And I'm going to ask that team to come up. But if that's you and you do not know Jesus or you want to rededicate your life back to Christ while every head is bowed and every eye is still closed I just want you to lift your hands up I see that hand I see that hand I see that hand I see about six hands father we just thank you for these people to make this courageous step in saying God I want you Lord as I pray that as they take the next step and come up here for prayer Lord, I thank you that you would use these prayer warriors to minister salvation or rededication to them in Jesus' name. Lift up your hands. I'm going to speak a blessing over you. Father, I just declare us blessed coming in. I declare us blessed going out. I declare that we are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I declare that wherever we walk, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I ask that as we leave this place, but not your presence, ministering angels, be with us in Jesus' name. Let's give God some praise. Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.